Hey, I shave before I go on this show. You are you saying you guys don't? <laughs> my, my legs get a little raw when I do, so. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome back to the uh, episode 26 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. Um, on our panel today, um, and when we do our introductions, uh, we keep hearing that uh, Josh is a stealth entrepreneur, so I thought it would be fun today in our introductions if we all guess what his stealth entrepreneurship is, what, what his company does. Oh, that is so not fair. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, on our panel this week, we have Avdi Grimm. Uh, good morning, and or good evening, or good night, depending on where you are and where you, when you're listening to this. And I'm going to guess uh, that it has something to do with office furniture. <laughs> All right. Uh, James Edward Gray. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's James here. And if I had to guess what Josh Susser does in his stealth entrepreneur stuff, it would be uh, kitchen appliances. All right. We also have David Brady. Hey, it's David Brady here. Um, I blog at heartmindcode.com. And, uh, oh, uh, I said the last time I was on that ADDcast isn't dead. Uh, we've actually got a new episode going up probably tomorrow. And so that's that's going on. And uh, I think Josh's startup is... Um, he's going to start uh, a podcast with uh, several Ruby experts... And he's gonna when he goes live with it, he's gonna have like twenty six episodes all ready to go. All right. And uh, Josh, go ahead. Uh, so I really have no uh, no idea what to guess here. Really bad sign, Josh. It's a total mystery to me. But I but I like all your ideas. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna pursue all of them. All right. And I'm Charles Maxwood, and I'm leaning more toward uh, sock deodorizer delivery company. Um, or deodorant. Yeah, just deodorant. Deodorant. Yeah, we were talking about that before the show. So uh, this week we're going to be talking about pairing. Um, I know that several of us have experience with pairing. Some of us have worked in companies where it's been done pretty much all the time. Others of us have you know we we're freelancer consultants and wait do we do we need a, a sommelier on the show now to talk about pairing our wine with our meal absolutely <laughs> you are writing c code monsieur i recommend the crotchety old neckbeard <laughs> <laughs> episode is off to a bad start you should have heard the pre-show chatter oh no kidding i've actually had somebody uh come to me and ask to be on one of my podcasts and he he told me that he was a neckbeard and I, I i don't know is that something that you can actually uh, uh claim it's the verification i worry about <laughs> <laughs> okay so so uh so so wine and cheese aside uh you know pairing uh, we're actually talking about pair programming. Wait, what? Correct. We are? <laughs> yes. I, I, sorry to shock you guys. <laughs> I've heard that you've actually uh, spoken on this before, Josh. Why don't you uh, give us some insight? Define it. <laughs> Define <Yeah>, it. Definition. <laughs> definition. It's a programming Def activity that requires in furniture that I've invented. 
<laughs> well, it doesn't require it, but you're definitely better off with it. No, pair, pair programming, it's when two people uh, collaborate on a programming task together. And there's a lot of different ways to do it, and I guess that's what we're going to be spending the next uh, 40 minutes talking about. Right. So so that, that leads me to a question because it, it seems like kind of a loose definition. If, if I pull a couple of developers aside and uh, – you know, we start talking about, well, how do we want to put this together? And we chat about it for 10 or 15 minutes, kind of get a game plan together, and then go split back up. Is that pair programming then? I, I wouldn't call it pair programming. Right. So so it's more than just a couple of people collaborating over some programming problem. Right. So, okay. So, so the, the typical uh, pair programming day that that is the bread and butter of life at Pivotal Labs, where I spent four years, um, is you have one, uh, typically it's an iMac, you have you know, one big monitor and two keyboards and two mice so that you don't have, so that it's easy for each person to type and, and drive when they want to. Um, and also uh, during cold and flu season, you don't have to worry about germs. <clears throat> and and that's not a joke. That's actually important. <laughs> uh, but uh, two people sitting side by side, looking at the same screen at the same time, and uh, both people are engaged in the programming task. So there's there's a lot of um, uh, different perspectives about how you uh, how how the two different people take on roles during pair programming. Uh, some people talk about the person who's driving and the person who's navigating. I'm making air quotes with my fingers, which is horribly effective on podcasts. Uh, so there's, there's the driver and the navigator. Um, the, that's not how, how I like to do it. I like to have both people engaged in driving. So that's, you know, both people are, are, uh, are coding at the same time, although both people aren't typing at the same time. That's probably the number one cause of injuries during pair programming. Is injury a common problem? Simultaneous <laughs> typing. Mostly because so, like, if you type while Josh is typing, he will smack you. <laughs> Look what you made me do! <laughs> and we haven't even paired together. <laughs> I've heard the stories. So, so there are some people who like they think pair programming is about one person sitting there dictating while the other person types. And, and that's, and that's not what it's about. And it, it's also not about one person doing all the work while the other person observes. It's about both people being intellectually engaged in the activity that's going on right at the moment. The, so that said, there are often different roles that occur. Uh, one of the ways that you can slice up a, pr a programming task is, especially if you're doing test-driven development, uh, the, the, pair will be talking about a problem and they'll say okay great here's here's something we want to we want to do we want to add a field to this form that asks for someone's middle name and one so what one person will write a test for it and then the other person will make that test pass and then <clears throat> once they've made the test pass they'll make they'll write another test that fails and then the other person will and then so, so we call that ping pong pairing you know I'll make a test, you make it pass, then you make a test, and you make, and I'll make it pass. So that's that's a typical day. Okay, so I, I admit that I am absolutely the least experienced pair programmer on this call. Uh, I just learned a few seconds ago that pair programming does not mean having sex while you program. So uh, I, I'm playing catch up here. But... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? 
so James, I, I, I do, I do have to put a disclaimer in. I, I did a, in one year at Pivotal, I was like working on a lot of different projects with a lot of different people. And I ended up pairing with like over two dozen people in that year. And I kind of got the reputation as the office slut. Nice. I, I was worried I got a TDD, but I got unit tested and it was okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, oh, man. But you got to remember, whenever you pair with someone, you're programming with everyone they've ever programmed with. Nice. Oh, that's nasty. <laughs> but it's true. Oh, oh. I now understand why you guys lobbied to do this episode. Um, okay, getting back on topic or trying to, can we talk about like some of the benefits? Why? Why would you pair a program? I mean. If you just think about it in a simple sense, it seems like um, that, you know, it, it takes two programmers where you're only getting one right. thing done. So it, it seems like right. you're actually doing less. Right. So, so, so there actually have been some studies about um, the, the uh, productivity of teams that use pair programming. And it's not it doesn't take twice as long to do everything because you have two people doing the work one person would be doing. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Pair programming teams um, can be more productive. Uh, so, you know, you know, per, you know, per capita, I guess is the term. The, so, so I think as programmers, we all uh, have some experience with code review and how, you know, you write some code, you show it to somebody else and they're like, why did you do that? Why did, you know, why did you write this 50 line method when you just could have made this one API call? Uh, it, so if you say the longer I wait to get that code review, the more uh, problems that someone will find with my code. So you want to tighten that, that feedback cycle. The tightest you can make that cycle is that somebody is watching you write your code while you write it. So pair programming has often been sold to uh, development managers as its instantaneous code review. Okay, yeah, so I want to jump in here real quick because I mean, you're talking about some studies that said that uh, pair programming can be more productive, and um, it, 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 that just ties back to another issue that I have uh, with um, programming metrics in general, and that is is that how do you measure productive? I mean, do you measure it in lines of code? Do you measure it in the number of features? Do you measure it in – because not all lines of code are created equal. Not all features are created equal. Not all anything is created equal. And so it, it's really hard for me to really buy into, um, you know, being able to prove that it's more productive. I think you can kind of get a sense of how productive you are, and I think some some people and some pairs are more productive than others, maybe to the point where um, – maybe to the point where things, um, uh, you know, where, where, where you're actually more productive together than apart, but I'm not sure if I buy that pair programming is necessarily always or even most of the time is more productive. So um, I want to jump in there because um, there's a – there's a couple of things I think people don't always consider when they're when they think about you know it, would this be more productive um, or more effective, um, and you know when they when they just think about okay so there's two programmers working on the same problem uh, when they could be working on two different problems um, concurrently. So I mean the first one is is that code review point. I cannot tell you how many times um, I've come across code um, that 
um, you know that that if if there had been one other person at that keyboard at that screen, um, they would have caught the bug. They would have caught the just like the the um, the complete brain fart that went into production code. Like um, just uh, the other day, uh, I discovered that some code had some latent bugs because the spec for it had failed they 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 basically put typos in the spec so the spec wasn't actually asserting anything so the the spec had left out the um the should equal part of the assertions and uh and so the assertions did nothing and so it was the 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 specs were all passing but they were actually not verifying anything um and that's the sort of thing that when I, when I'm pairing with somebody never gets through or very rarely gets through um and uh it's also the sort of thing that might that may get through even in a even in a uh a formal code review just because um you know people people code reviews are boring um you know they uh people want to get through them um and, and but the other thing is i think the 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 idea of you know of these two programmers could be twice as productive if they were both working on a separate um on separate problems leaves out the fact that not everyone is working at 100% all the time, and when you look at you know a typical programmer day, um, you know are you really completely engaged the whole time you're working on a problem? And what I what I see with with pairing is um, it really ramps up your level of engagement. Like if you're working with someone else, um, you know with the occasional exception of of spontaneous conversations that break out, which doesn't happen as often as, as you might think once you get over once you get to know each other. Um, you're just completely focused on the problem. To to too. Oh, it is. It is. But I mean, it's absolutely important. But, but what I find is that, you know, most of the pair programming time that I see is completely engaged with the problem at hand. The entire, you know, except for, you know, the breaks that you take, um, you know, you have, you might have four hours of just, exhausting, totally focused on the problem time. And, you know, I don't really see that as often um, when it's, when it's, when it's, when you're, when people are coding alone, especially if the problem isn't that interesting. I mean, you might see that if somebody's working on a super interesting problem and they're just really excited about it, you know, you know, we, we've all done those, those all nighters on a super interesting problem, but when it's less interesting, um, you know, I think the uh, the pairing really brings up the level of engagement. Yeah, I, I, I always, whenever I see a Star Trek Next Generation episode and two people are working on something together and they're just like talking about their personal lives while they're working, I think these guys suck at pair programming. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. So, Abdi, you kind of mentioned that, that when, when two people pair, it kind of raises the quality floor. I've also had the experience where it also raises the uh, the effectiveness ceiling of the pair, where uh, it, this has only happened to me maybe a dozen times in my career, um, but it's, it's, it's almost magical when it happens. But I've gotten to the end of a long day of pair programming where we have really, really gelled, and then we turn around and we look at what we just did, and we and both of us realize there is no way – a single human brain could have solved that problem. Um, the the gestalt of two programmers well gelled is it was more than just having two people work on the same problem. It was like having a single pair that has a lot more brain width 
available than a single human being to, to bring to the problem. Um, and just like really tough problems just get cracked uh, as, as a result. It's been, it's, it's really, really cool. You actually brought to mind something that something else that I left out. Um, what also happens with pairing is it's less likely that you will go down a blind alley um, or, you know, down a rabbit hole. Um, one of the, it's, it's, um, you know, if, if you start to go down a rabbit hole, um, it's far more likely when you have two people that one of them will say, um, you know what, this looks like a rabbit hole. Uh, can we, inv- can we uh, somehow avoid this altogether? So I've, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've been pairing on a problem and it was something where I would have just kept plugging away, um, going down that rabbit hole hour after hour. And instead my pair said, uh, do we actually have to do this at all? And we went yeah. and talked to the stakeholder and, you know, and they said, yeah, actually, you don't really need to do that. And just that, I mean, just that, I mean, that, that could save you an entire day of work. Mm-hmm. Um, just that having someone there to say, do we actually have to do this? And so, I mean, I think that's another of those things that's easy to miss about the, uh, the productivity aspect. So I wanted to talk about that a little. Um, I've noticed that there are certain kinds of people I, I like pairing with more. Uh, for example, uh, one of my big problems is uh, I will just uh, solve a problem. Whenever someone gives me a problem, then I just solve it. And I, I don't think about it or, or decide or whatever. It's, it's can you do X? And I'm like, yep, sure can. Um, and I, I just go do that. But I've actually paired with people in the past that were very good at saying, yeah, we could do X, but it's probably a lot easier to do Y. We can do that in a lot less time and would probably give you what you want anyway, you know, and kind of what Avdi was talking about there, you know, is this really important? Is this the right way to go? And I think when I'm pairing with those people, I find that it saves everyone involved a dramatic amount of time because if, you know, if they ask me for something, I just do it, even if it's a bad idea. Uh, whereas, you know, a lot of other people are good about uh, saying, you know, should we be doing this? And then uh, they get that uh, redirected back to what we what would be better for us to be working on. I've actually seen a, a really interesting variation on that, um, which is maybe this is uh, to be filed under the when pair programming goes wrong kind of thing. But where one of us will say, let's let's do the problem this way and the other one says i don't know that that makes any sense that you know this you know i don't know maybe we should try it this other way and uh, and the other person says no no i want to do it this way uh we're going to do it this way and and so it, it's kind of frustrating there's a little bit of a disconnect there and you kind of grind wheels and uh on this project that i'm currently on i'd say about 50 50 um, half the time we get to the end and when it's happened, when I've been the person that's been kind of shouted down by my partner, um, about half the time we get to the end and, and I go, Oh, or about halfway through, I finally see what they're doing. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That, that actually makes sense. And I just learned something from it. And so there's some, some very important knowledge transfer and, and very useful for me to sit back and go, now, how come he looked at that and just saw it immediately and I had to be led by the nose through this to get to reach this solution. The other half of the time, we get to the end of it, and I just kind of face palm and say, "See, I told you so," uh, because the solution we end up is this awful Frankenstein. And the really cool thing, and this gets into like what I mentioned with Avdi, where 
the conversations and the chit chat between people is is really essential. Um, not just knowledge transfer, but also like like social capital exchange between programmers, where they they learn to gel and they learn to trust each other and work to and and learn to like each other and that sort of thing. Um, and because that had happened uh, last week, I had a moment where we got to the end of the thing and. Uh, the thing that I'd been questioning the entire time and my pair had been saying, no, 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 we should do it this way. We should do this. We got to the end and my pair said, oh, wow, we really shouldn't have done it that way. You were, you were right. And, and that was a very useful, like it was, it, it would, the opposite happened. He was the one going, how come Dave saw that right from the very beginning? And also it was also very validating and it was very, you know, like social capital was exchanged there of, of saying, okay, you value my opinion. I'm glad. I value your opinion. This is good to go. I don't want us to move on from the benefits just yet because I, I, I think that it's good to, to enumerate them. So we were talking about productivity. We we're talking about uh, code quality. Um, I, uh, uh, just real quickly, there, there's a couple others. Um, sharing information or transmitting information. And uh, so if, two pe if every problem is being worked on by two people, then there's never you know, so it pretty much automatically doubles your bus number. The, you know, people know the term bus number. It's like if, mm -hmm. you, you know. So anyway, definition. So, <laughs> uh, go ahead. No, okay. So the bus number is is the uh, the the number of people that if they were hit, spontaneously hit by buses um, would completely hobble your your ability to move forward. I'm not right. defining this very well, but yeah. but basically, it's about knowledge. The number knowledge silos. Yeah. yeah, the number of people that if they were hit by a bus, this um, this bit of lore or knowledge would be lost to the organization. Right. Yeah. So, Higher bus so, number is it's better. Yes. yes. Yeah. So so if so, and and especially if you're changing, um, you know, changing pairs frequently uh, throughout a project, then everybody sees every bit of code. Um, it it breaks down those that uh, sense of uh, territoriality in the code. Um, yeah. And so that, you know, there's there's less defensiveness about code, and just everybody knows what's going on in the whole pro whole project, and none of that. But if like it took the way that I learned how to do a lot of things uh, in the last couple of years was pairing with people who knew how to do them better than I did. So yes. And and I've also spent spent a lot of time mentoring people and pairing with them, and it, it's just so much more effective to show somebody how to do it and guide them in their own leveling up and how to do it than any other way. I want to chime in on that real quick, too, because um, I've, I've paired with several people, including Dave, actually. We, we used to work together. And uh, I swear there were some times where we sat down. And Dave, Dave has a lot more experience than I have. And uh, there were times where I swear um, we'd sit down and somehow he was still learning as much from me as I was from him, even though I was kind of the junior guy and he was kind of the senior guy. You know, where, yeah, there were some things that I had picked up, some ways that I had learned to cope with my deficiencies that he had never seen before. And, mm -hmm. and, and just the same, you know, he was imparting some wisdom that he had gained over, I don't know how many years of programming that, uh, that I picked up and appreciated. So uh, it goes both ways. You forget why you, you know something and somebody comes along and challenges your assumptions and you're like, oh, well, let's, let's talk about that. And, yeah, it's, if you want to learn something, teach it to somebody. That's absolutely true. I, I hear people ask all the time, you know, how do we how do we spread our knowledge and uh, and our our um, you know our practices um, consistently around the team? And 
Um, my answer is always just just pair program a lot. I mean, it, you don't need anything else once you start pair programming a lot. It'll just everything will just the, the the idioms and the knowledge and everything will spread out. The the, the anti pattern to that is um, bringing in your expert programmers, making them work on the hard stuff, and making the newer guys work on the easy stuff because then no knowledge gets disseminated. Right. The, 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 a lot of people do it. Right. And and the the cool thing about this that was incorporated in the how Pivotal does work with client developers is that if if you start a project with um, with a bunch of Pivot developers and the client hasn't hired any developers yet, which is common when you got startups just ramping up, then as you hire, as the client would hire developers, they would join the team. Some pivots would roll off the team, and eventually you'd have, you know, a, a team staffed of you know pivots and clients. And then you just pair program together for some length of time. And when the engagement is over, the client developers know everything about the code. There's no handoff. There's no I have to write you know 300 pages of documentation about how this code works. Everybody just already knows how it works, and they can, and one day they just start going to work at their own office rather than the, you know coming into Pivotal and they move forward. So it's it's the easiest handoff ever. The the other interesting thing though is that you're not just handing off the knowledge of the code base, but you're handing off the way that you built it. You're handing off uh, cultural aspects and and things like that. And so um, it's it's an excellent way of maintaining not only the integrity of the code base, but the integrity of the company and the integrity of the team. It's, it's, it's equally valuable to have somebody say, um, let's solve this using a class instance variable, as it is to have somebody say, whoa, 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 don't push that to the server. We haven't run our specs yet. Yeah, well, well, well said. So, the, and then, and then um, productivity, I think, is actually uh, a significant benefit. And it's not just the number of lines of code per day that you're creating. It's that... Uh, studies have shown that pair programming produces higher quality code because you got the the code review thing going on all the time. Uh, that that um, and the maintenance cost of the code over time. Oh, oh, lower bug counts. So it's higher quality. You got lower defect rates. Uh, you know, fewer failed uh, launches. And the uh, maintainability of the code over time is much greater, especially since. More, you know, because of the knowledge transmission, more people on the team are familiar with more of the code, so you don't have these confusion moments when a bug breaks and nobody knows. You know, the guy who wrote the code is on vacation and nobody knows how to fix it. So, the, the, if you look at two teams and one is doing pair programming and the other is not, that it can be much more productive. Okay, but let's be honest. Isn't the productivity just because you're uh, too embarrassed to look at your Twitter account while some guy's watching over your shoulder? <laughs> I'm not. To, to be fair, yes. <laughs> I, I was going to ask about that. When you take a break, do you pair Facebook? <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> no. <laughs> pair tweeting. But, but that, no, that, that's actually a, re a really good point, James, that uh, you know, like Opti said earlier, it keeps you focused on the task and you don't spend all day sitting there in, you know, in IRC or Facebook you know, just dicking around. The, it, and the, but the downside of that, and, and there are some, there are, you know, not everything is, is a garden of roses, you know, pair programming for eight hours a day is incredibly hard work. Yeah. 
Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Exhausting. Yeah, I find it harder to uh, psych myself up for it. You know, I want to jump in here real quick because uh, I've noticed that a lot of the things that you guys are talking about are things that kind of come after you've been preparing for a while, as opposed to uh, necessarily when you you know when you haven't been preparing for a while and you're just trying it out. I've I've seen a lot of friction. Um, with with just getting started where people, you know, they don't gel well or they don't know how to communicate when they're pairing or things like that. What what tips do you guys have for people who are new to pairing that are just trying to get started and get used to some of the benefits that it offers? So um, I, I'll just do my little, uh, you know, uh, pairing for newbies uh, spiel, which is that uh, the uh, an important thing about about if you're going to pair a program together every day is that you should have a neutral uh, uh, setup for doing your, your pairing on. You should not be pair programming on, programming on one person's computer. And ideally, you shouldn't be having one person visit the other person in his office. You should have neutral territory that is configured in a way that everybody on the, on the team can, can use that hardware uh, equivalently well. And, and, that, so one, and the reason for that is... Uh, the power dynamic of being in my office, working on my computer with all of my software shortcuts and all of my configuration is going to be more difficult for you to operate as an equal partner when we're pairing. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, you know, in a, in a shop that does pairing well, they have a bunch of pairing workstations set up. You, you know, usually it's a great big, you know, screen and, you know, two keyboards and two mice and whatever, ergonomic accommodations you have and a, you know, a box of mints and some hand sanitizer and uh, you know, whatever else you need to, to get going. And, uh, and you sit together working at the computer together during the day and it's, you, you don't have to worry about the power dynamic of who owns what and is somebody a guest there. Well, I've, I've actually paired with somebody um, where I didn't really feel any of, I didn't feel like he was more in charge, even though we were working on his machine. But I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what I was doing with Emacs while I was trying to program. And uh, yeah, that that can be distracting. I can see exactly what you're talking about there. Oh yeah, you, you have to have an editor that you're both comfortable with. Yes. Yep. Isn't that uh, kind of one advantage of remote pairing? I've found that you know if you're just launching up a Skype session and you know. One of you shares your screen for a while, and then the other one shares the screen for a while. I found the cool thing about that is when you're programming, you get to use your shortcuts and what's comfy for you, and you know, and they and and all they have to do is read code, so that's fine. They can handle that, even if you're in Emacs, you know, um, or uh, when the other guy's programming, he's doing it his way, and and again, all you have to do is read. So that seems to be kind of one of the advantages of remote pairing. I think it depends. I think if you're both controlling a remote machine where you're using Tmux or uh, what's the other screen, then then it might be a little bit harder. But if, yes, yeah, if, if I'm coding up something and you're watching me and then we just switch to see your screen instead of mine, then, yeah, I think that would work just fine. Yeah. You can, I, you can I, lose I wanna, context oh, when you do that, though. It's it's true. You can you can lose some context. Um on the subject of, of tips for, for getting started, um, I actually want to push back a little bit on one of Josh's earlier points um, about the roles in pairing. Um, so I, I talked to a programmer 
um, at a recent conference, and she was saying, we've been trying to do some pairing, but um, it feels like it's just I'm sitting there writing the code, and my pair is just kind of looking over my shoulder, nodding, you know, nodding his head and, you know, and, and saying, yeah, it looks good. Um, and, and I explained, well, when I typically, when I'm pairing, um, I'm watching somebody else. If, if I'm, if I'm not at the keyboard, then I'm watching somebody else code and I'm basically telling them what to do, basically telling them what to, what to type, um, what to do next. And they're welcome to, to, to object at any point or to, 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 um, say, well, are you sure about that? But, but I actually, I, I, I want to say something for, for, especially for beginners. I, I want to say something in favor of like the traditional navigation, navigation slash driving, um, school of pair programming. Um, because if you, if you practice, if you at least start out practicing those roles, um, with some discipline, um, it really forces, so that the person navigating, that's the person off the keyboard, they have to, figure out, you know, they are responsible for what code gets written for, for what we do next. And they have to figure out how to communicate their ideas without just pushing the other person aside and saying, here, let me type this. Um, they have to figure out how to actually enunciate their ideas, which often helps them um, either, either flesh out their ideas or realize that there's something wrong with their ideas. Um, and, uh, you know, and conversely, the person at the keyboard, um, has to is in a mode where they they um, they're really absorbing what's you know somebody else's perspective rather than sitting there and just like doing their own thing and, and just getting getting approval periodically um, you know they're they're basically almost acting as somebody else's hands and and you know getting that that hands-on um, feel for how somebody else thinks and um, you know what I, I do see a, a, in a lot of cases I see um, beginners at pair programming falling into the the system of one person at the keyboard doing all of the work and the person over their shoulder just sort of nodding and and, and smiling periodically um, and uh, and so I do recommend at least getting started um, trying out those those kind of strict uh, navigator driver roles. Well, we all need to take turns uh, exercising our necks, nodding every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll agree with everything you said. I think that that's, uh, you know, the the driving navigating uh, setup can work great for you know, bringing someone up to speed and uh, training. Yeah. One one thing that I've noticed too when I'm navigating as opposed to driving is that since I'm not concentrating on getting it into the machine, you know, running the tests, doing all of the other stuff. Um, you know, I can kind of half watch and make sure that that all happens right, but I, I tend to be able to spare more brain cycles for solving the problem. And so in a lot of cases, you know, I can get two or three steps ahead and be thinking about things while my pair is doing the work of getting it into the machine and, you know, typing it out so that when we move on to the next stage of the problem, then I'm ready to make my contribution. I think what Chuck just said there is kind of important. One of the things I was going to say that I've learned uh, in doing it, uh, when I first started pairing, my instinct was I need to talk a lot and contribute a lot and, and make sure I'm pulling my weight. 
and I think I was really annoying uh, the pair most of the time, you know, because they're trying to think and and uh, you're you're breaking that mental stack. Um, and I think as I've gotten better at it, I've learned uh, mostly just to shut up a lot, you know, and that uh, you know if they're uh, if they're flowing and moving forward, great. Then then my job is to sit there, observe what they're doing, look for problems, like Chuck said, potentially think ahead. You know, and then I usually find when they pause or stop or get stuck, that's usually a signal for me that I've I've been sitting there thinking and I've got the next idea, so I just toss that out there, you know, and then and then that usually gets us moving forward again and that seems to make the process a lot smoother. So 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 there's you know, so every front has a back. There, you know, there's two sides to that. And and I think that, that you can you can Use that to your advantage sometimes, but there is a, a downside to that, and that's that you're not as fully engaged in what your pair is doing at the moment, and you're not going to be as good at catching the bugs or the the thought mistakes that he's making while he's working. Yeah, Josh, you you just used the magic word there, engagement. Um, for for me, it, it's all about engagement. And if if pairing is going badly, it's because it's almost always because we're not as engaged as we need to be. And I find that if if I find myself typing, doing all the typing, and my partner is silently nodding, I I start thinking, how can I get this guy engaged? And the easiest way to get your partner engaged is to give him the keyboard. Um, there. I, I won't completely disagree with James on the on the being quiet because I was I was about to jump in and say no. Uh, nine times out of ten, if you're if you're having trouble pairing, it's because you're not talking enough. Um, I find myself, especially navigating, um, when my partner is driving off into the weeds and he's not telling me where he's going or what he's doing. That's when I start kind of getting in his face and saying, "Talk to me. Tell me where you're mm -hmm. going. Talk, you, you know, yep. I need to, I need to engage with you." Talk to me, Goose. Talk to me. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, if, if you know if you're if you're well synced and 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 he's he's cruising, then then absolutely. But the the majority uh, thing I think newbies fall into the 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 pitfall is that the navigator doesn't work hard enough um, when they're when 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 newbies are starting out. The if, if you uh, so I have ADD. Some of you may have have read about this somewhere, but. Um, uh, I used to bring my laptop to pair program with, and there are some people that absolutely forbid laptops because it's a distraction, right? If you're navigating and you're typing away on your laptop, especially because I've got Twitter open and Facebook open, this is really bad etiquette for pairing and, and that sort of thing. And um, But if your partner is typing something and is like, oh, crap, how do I do this? And I've got it Googled and pulled up on my laptop before he's even finished asking the question. I feel like I'm doing a good job as the navigator. Um, if you, if I find myself uh, spending too much time on Twitter, uh, which is non-zero, I'll allow you know myself to tweet. My partner says something funny, that's going on Twitter. But if it's like he's writing code while I'm writing on Twitter, that's you know what, it's time to close the laptop. The, the value of, of Navigator having access to Google is being completely, uh, you know, subverted by the Navigator having access to uh, distractions. So it's all it ultimately, and it all comes down to just one word, engagement. How, how tightly engaged are you? Yeah, I'm saying some people like to have uh, a, like a, 
you know, separate computers for people to do research on and then have the, the pairing computer where you do all your coding. And other, other, other shops just say no distractions, no other computers, everything you do is both people have their attention on the same place. No soup for you. Yeah. I will say if you if you're at the keyboard, um, you know, and, and you feel like you feel like your your partner might be slipping away somewhere. Um, you know, don't be afraid to just say, okay, just sort of lift your hands up and say, okay, what next? What do I yeah, do? That's, just that's you know, don't be afraid. I, I think I think maybe some people are are afraid to be dumb um, when they're at the keyboard. You know, they're afraid to look look dumb or look like they're they're at a loss. But um, but I think that's fine. You know, I think it's it's completely fine to just periodically say, okay, what next? Um, you know, I do that a lot when I'm at the keyboard. Yeah. So, so, so the the thing that I actually tweeted this yesterday, but the thing that I want to say to people who are new to pair programming is that, like any other thing that you do as a programmer, pair programming is a learned skill. Yes. It's not it's not something that you just take to naturally, and it, and for many people, it's a very challenging skill to learn. But, and I remember uh, Obi. Obi Fernandez wrote this post uh, a couple years ago talking about how pair programming isn't for everyone and like it was this elitist thing that only some people were capable of doing and it caused a lot of, of uh, ruckus when he did that. But my response to that is that it's a skill and most people don't like doing things that they're not very good at. They struggle with it. They find it unsatisfying. And if you can learn the skill, take, you know, have some patience and, and give yourself the time to learn the skill when you get good enough at doing it, you'll actually enjoy it and you'll find yourself you know, getting the benefits of pair programming rather than hating it and struggling with it. Yeah, I try to tell pro, uh, programmers that are new to pairing, especially if they're good programmers, is to say, be patient with this. Remember that your entire skill set um, does not translate here. You learned to program alone. You learned to program in the quiet. You learned to program in the silence of your own head none of those skills are going to translate here. In fact, they're actually going to hamstring you. Be patient. Be willing to suck at this and talk to me. Get your brain out there so that we can integrate. So I have one more question. Um, I wanted to ask about remote pairing because uh, a lot of this pair programming talk that we've had has been focused around, you know, sitting next to the guy that we're pairing with. But what if we're sitting across the world from the guy that we're pairing with? Um, are there any tricks to that? Is there something different about that? There, there are, and I've, I've done, you know, a fair amount of remote pairing. I think Avdi's done a bunch of remote pairing too. And, uh, but I, I have a, I have a pick for that. So I'm like, I don't want to talk too much about it. Um, and, and I, I have a, a, an important thing to add before, you know, before we jump into the picks or what have you. So, so I, I want to drop this one message in here, which I think is more important than, re, than remote pairing. And that if you talk to people who pair a lot, they'll say that the most important thing for being able to operate effectively pair programming is that you have to get your ego in check. And so if, if you've ever seen like a tight jazz group jamming out, it, you know, the drummer is not trying to hit his drum as hard and as loud and as fast as possible. He's listening for the places where he can do something that's going to complement what other people are doing, where where he can do something that's going to make the song sound better. Yeah. And when you're pairing with somebody, it's not about typing all the time. It's not about you driving all the time. It's not about you getting your own way all the time. When you're doing it right, 
you you get your ego in check and it stops being about you showing off and you getting your way and you demonstrating that you're smarter or you know what's going on. And it's about the two of you working together. You become kind of a group mind and you just focus on the task and it's left and it stops being about you and what you can do. And it becomes being about what you can do together as a pair. Yeah. That's awesome. I have a very urgent pairing message as well. Um, which speaks very much to Josh's point about there really ought to be a neutral machine. I, I don't think I've ever paired in a company where there was a neutral machine. So um, I have invaded other people's uh, laptops. Other people have moved into my machine. Um, I've basically forced myself to become fluent in Vim and in TextMate, even though Emacs is my editor of choice. Um, just because if Vim is your editor of choice, then I want to reduce uh, any kind of barrier that you have to the pairing, um, because I think that's more valuable. Uh, I, I think that I think the text editor is not the bottleneck when you're pair programming. Um, and the urgent message that I have to anybody out there is that if I have paired with you and your machine is still locked in the Dvorak key, key layout, uh, shift control backtick is the combination that will unlock it. And I'm very sorry. <laughs> Anybody who's paired with me, that's the first thing I do is I, I turn on Dvorak keyboard layout, and then I go enable uh, control shift backtick to toggle between US and Dvorak layout. And then in, in, invariably, about once a year, somebody will say, um, I can't log in. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <laughs> and you can't tell me your password. Okay, let me go print, print out you a picture of the Dvorak keyboard. And, uh, and they play a little <laughs> geography matching game to try and figure out how to type their password. <laughs> Yeah, David, David was the uh, kind of jerk that uh, in high school, when you asked to borrow his calculator, he handed you that thing in RPN mode, you know, uh -huh. you couldn't yep. use it anyway. And the fact that I know that says nothing about the kind of jerk I was in high school. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's do the picks. Um, let's go ahead and start off with Avdi. All right. Um. I think just one pick uh, today, um, and it's going to be Google Plus Hangouts, uh, which are probably the best way to have distributed team stand-up meetings uh, that I've seen yet, and they're uh, a hundred and it's a hundred percent freer than all of the other um, lower quality solutions. At least right now it is. So um, yeah, love doing stand-ups on Google Plus. Actually, can I do a can I do a, a quick self plug? Um, I don't know if it's really a pick, but but just on the topic of of remote pairing, um, I I have a whole uh, podcast dedicated to distributed team issues. Um, wide wideteams dot com is the address, and uh, so if you're interested in like in like remote pairing and stuff like that, I've I've interviewed dozens of programmers and and people involved in software in distributed software teams on that podcast. So you might find some interesting stuff there. Sounds good. Dave, do you have your mic set uh, in Dvorak yet? Yes. <laughs> okay, so I have two picks, uh, both for pair programming. Uh, the first one is uh, Quido, uh, Q-I-D-O, and I'll put a link in the show notes to that, which is um, it's a little USB key dongle, and uh, you it, it looks like a USB uh, you know, like a thumb drive, except that it's got a USB port on the back end of it. And what it is, is you plug it into 
uh, the back of a computer and the computer says, oh, hey, there's a keyboard here. And then you plug in a USB keyboard to it and I can type on that USB keyboard. I can type on it in Dvorak um, with no translation. The keyboard is sending QWERTY. It hits this little uh, Quido, which stands for QWERTY in Dvorak out, and it translates it out to the Dvorak layout. And so I can type the home row, ASDF, and it goes through, or rather I can type my home row, which is AOEU, and it goes through the Quido and it comes out as ASDF or vice versa. It's actually vice versa. Um, so the end result is that um, I can sit down at your computer and I can plug this thing in and I can plug my external keyboard in and your keyboard is in QWERTY, my keyboard is in Dvorak and there was no software driver and you don't have to remember that stupid shift control backtick thing to get out of uh, QWERTY and Dvorak. Um, that's that's kind of awesome. <laughs> it's 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 really really slick, and the people that I have pair programmed with really really love it, especially the ones that I've ever locked out of being able to log in. <laughs> um, and so it will make your sysadmin freak out because it looks like a keylogger, and in fact, it is made by KeyGhost.com, who makes keyloggers. And just somebody on the at the company said, "Hey, we we make these things that." make key loggers, why don't we make one that makes a key translator? And so that that's what they do. Uh, and my it's other, a key translator, I promise. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just type your password here. And uh, my second pick for pair programming is um, Dove Men's Care Products. Uh, specifically, they have an entire line of deodorants that are not antiperspirants. Uh, <laughs> I am allergic to most uh, antiperspirants, like aluminum hydroxide. Uh, I break out. I'm not really like, like allergic, allergic. I just it just gives me a rash, and it's very uncomfortable, and I don't like to to wear it. And as long as I'm in a dry climate, nobody complains. As long as I stay out here in Utah. But when I go to LA or when I go to Houston, um, it's not too long before somebody pulls me aside and gives me the talk that I have given to other people about their bo. And so if you're going to do pair programming, and if you sweat a lot, um, and you don't like to wear antiperspirant, go get Dove's Men Care deodorant. Um, which is uh, they've got a, a variety of, of subtle fragrances and they don't burn your arms and make you sticky and they're hard to wash out. It just, it just it gets rid of the smell for 48 hours. It's really nice. All right. Good deal. James, what do you have for us? Listening to David's picks, I'm reminded of the castle episode where the guy who makes men's uh, – products dies and castles all hung up on his products and getting the whole precinct hooked on them and stuff and then they later find out they have these medical problems and everybody they have butane in them right yeah everybody gets mad so i I just had to share that because i think that was hilarious so that's kind of a quasi pick i do enjoy castle it's a witty fun show if you haven't seen it you should check it out um yes okay uh, as far as picks, though, I have a couple. Um, first, uh, when I'm building a new site, uh, I always struggle to find uh, a, a usable background image, you know, pattern thing. And I every inevitably, I end up making one, and it, it's absolutely horrible, you know, because I have no artistic skill whatsoever. Um, so anyways, I, I got sent this uh, cool site uh, yesterday called subtlepatterns.com. Uh, and it's a great site of just a bunch of background images that aren't ridiculous. They look good. You can go through and preview them uh, right there on the site and stuff like that. It's really handy. So if you're, like, totally uh, unartistic as I am, then this site is definitely very helpful. And the other pick I have, uh, just what I've been reading lately, I picked up the uh, Kindle single of... Uh, 
Sam Harris's new, it, it's really more of an essay than a book uh, called Lying. Uh, and I'm about halfway through that and really enjoying it. So uh, if you haven't read Lying, it, you should do it. It's a Kindle single. It's like a buck ninety nine. Uh, and it's all about, you know, uh, how do humans lie? Why do we lie? Uh, is it okay that we lie? Stuff like that. Uh, and uh, it's really, really excellent. So I recommend checking it out. All right. Thanks, James. Um, Josh. Okay, so I said I'd say something about remote pairing in the PICs. So remotepairprogramming.com. So that's a site set up by a a former coworker of mine, Pivot Joe Moore, and he he does remote pair programming all day long. He's in a remote office, so he remote pairs all the time. And he's, he's been doing a lot of talks in the Atlanta uh, Ruby user group and various places like that, uh, talking about how to do remote pairing well. And so we set up a blog around it and he's just been doing a lot of really good stuff there about what kind of tools to use and etiquette and practices and how to be effective. So that's definitely worth checking out. And uh, and then I have another pick for um, another pivot. Uh, did uh, Jeff Dean did a blog post uh, this week about how to do your own object creation methods instead of using a uh, fixture uh, replacement library like or you know factory library like uh, like factory girl or or the like and uh, it's I, I'm calling this one out because this is the blog post I was I've been meaning to write for a while and the, this is a pattern that, that gets used at pivotal a lot uh, I like this pattern. It's pretty much just about the same amount of effort to use this pattern as it is to use a library like Factory Girl, and you don't have a lot of the weird, quirky problems that you get with with um, with some of these libraries. I, personally, I don't like the uh, declarative syntax for doing uh, uh, test object creation because these things often need to be done in some sort of uh, sequenced order. And using a declarative syntax for that is is really hard sometimes. So just having methods where you have little snippets of Ruby code in there that do what you want to do works fine. This is a great post on doing it. So it's called Rolling Your Own Object Creation Methods for Specs. We'll have a link in the show notes. And and then my last and then I have a, a a last little pick here, which is The Adventures of Merlin, which I've been watching on Netflix streaming lately, and it's it's sort of if you're a, a fan of the Arthurian mythos and you know King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, and you like your your classics classic, this will kill you it, because they've taken liberties with everything. They've reinvented everything. It's like Arthur is a kid growing up with, or, or Merlin and Arthur as young kids growing up together. It's like ah, drives me nuts. But if you just set that aside, it's actually they're pretty true to the theme of the myths and. They get a lot of it right, so I've I've been pretty happy watching it. As soon as I set aside my uh, classicist hat, uh, I've been enjoying it a lot. So it's worth checking out. All right, yeah, I've I've uh, watched a bunch of them, and then I stopped because I thought my wife would like it. So I'm trying to get her to watch them now. But uh, yeah, anyway, um, so my picks. Uh, the first pick that I have is kind of it, it's one of those non-concrete ones, and that's basically just community involvement. Um, when I was out in uh, Colorado this last week, I, I wound up after the podcast, uh, Tim Peace told me that uh, the Boulder RB group was getting together. So I drove the 45 minutes from where I was staying up to the uh, Pivotal 
offices over in Boulder and uh, went to their users group meeting. And then I also wound up having lunch with uh, Fernand Galliana, um, who runs the Derailed group. And uh, we, we wound up having a good chat. I, I was only planning on having lunch with him for like uh, an hour or so. And we wound up chatting for like three hours. So, um, you know, it's, it's just nice to be able to get together with people in the community. So if you're traveling or, you know, even in your local area, you know, find those communities and hook up with people, get to know them, um, you know, find out what they know, find out what they're good at and uh, make those connections because it's, it's not just what you'll get from them, but it's, it, it really is a way of, of coming to appreciate the community that we have around Ruby and rails and, uh, you know, just some of the, the great people that are out there. So um, that's my only pick this week. Um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up and, and just remind you that you can get the show notes at rubyrogues.com and you can find us in iTunes and you can leave us a review there. Just do a search for Ruby Rogues and you should be able to find it in there. Thanks for listening. And uh, next week we're talking about training with Mike Clark. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, could be Mike Clark. Yeah, yeah, specifically teaching Ruby. Teaching Ruby. Okay. So uh, if you're interested in teaching Ruby or, you know, I'm sure he's going to have some great tips. So uh, looking forward to that next week. And don't forget to read our book group book, which we will be reviewing the beginning of December. It's Eloquent Ruby by Russ Olson. And that's it. Thanks for listening. I feel like I need a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs>